Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Dave, welcome back to The Boiling Point. Good to be with you, buddy. Okay, well, it's funny because you're actually not with me. This is the first time you and I have been separated. Well, I'm, I, I, yeah, I, it I, is. It feels, I have separation anxiety, actually. <laughs> so, uh, so Dave's in St. John at our studio. I, uh, I'm, I'm here with our uh, this week's guest here in Halifax, and somehow through Skype and a whole bunch of wires, we've been able to connect us all. It's very, uh, it's very incredible that we actually figured it out. Thanks to the Village Sound guys. <laughs> so, listen, today we have a really, uh, really interesting uh, character uh, as a guest. He's an old friend of mine, John Wesley Chisholm uh, from Halifax, and John Wesley owns an incredible production company called Arcadia Entertainment. We go way back uh, from back in the days I was living here in Halifax and uh, we spent a little bit of time in France together at different industry events and uh, even though he probably doesn't want to hear it, uh, I've seen him somewhat of a little bit of a mentor to me uh, and uh, I said that once to you, John Wesley, and and you told me to stop talking that way. (laughs) So anyway, Dave, John Wesley. John Wesley, nice to meet you. Mentor to Greg Hemmings. (laughs) What do you say to that? (laughs) What can you say? So uh, let's get this thing started. Uh, Dave, the thing about John Wesley that I was really attracted to at the beginning was his incredible founder story. So John Wesley, why don't you, why don't you tell Dave and I a little bit about how you got started and uh, you know the fact that you got into this business not as a producer? Well, <clears throat> thanks for asking about that. My background is that I have a degree in finance. Uh, and my intention was to be an accountant. Uh, when I got out of university, I almost immediately uh, got a record deal with MCA Records. My part-time rock band became became a thing, and I got one of the last of the, the real record deals where they pay, pay you a whole bunch of money to sit around and think about music. And um, I had this idea that I was going to balance both things, both the accountancy and the, the rock and roll lifestyle, because I couldn't... <laughs> my mind commit to either one and I tried for for, for years D- to cut the, the story short here's the math of it rock star plus accountant equals TV producer <laughs> <laughs> I love that logic it's good okay it's equating it is and I had an idea uh, that I had a story here to tell from Halifax to the world. Uh, Halifax, as you know, is part of Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia is part of Canada, which has more coastline than any other country in the world. And Halifax being between London and New York has traditionally been a place of shipwrecks. There's maybe 10,000 shipwrecks along our foreshore. And I thought I could tell the story of uh, going to look for uh shipwrecks, historic shipwrecks, and, and telling their stories to the world. Uh, that's interesting. It's kind of a, a, a weird but uh, important natural resource that, that we had. It's kind, kind of a, 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 a part of our marine cultural heritage and kind of a treasure in its own right. And I don't mean gold and jewels. I mean the stories being the treasure. And I was able to travel and uh, sold, uh, sold that idea to Discovery Channel International right away. And uh, came home with a couple million dollars 
and the need to learn how to uh, make TV shows, tell stories, learn how to dive, and 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 so on. And so, almost 17 years later, I am now uh, in the business of being a, a, a true TV producer. So let's rewind a little bit. You just you just said that you saw an opportunity in the coastline, the shipwrecks, and the jewel being the stories, but you weren't a film producer. You've probably never picked up a camera previous to this. You sold it to Discovery Channel, and they bought it. Yeah. Okay, how did that happen? Tell me like, tell me about this. There's something magical uh, happening But, but before, before you go there, can I just add to this equation, please, very quickly? Sure, go ahead. I, I heard accountant plus, you know, rock band plus, I, I'm thinking uh, salesmanship equals TV producer. Yeah, sure. I, I have a, I, I, you know, I don't think anyone's life is an actual story. Life is just a bunch of stuff that happens. And when you reach a certain age, you back into a story. You, you cherry pick from your life events and you, you form it into the shape of a story. And a story is a very particular thing that, that, I, that I believe in, in strongly. So I can back into this other ways. I, I can, like, you want to rewind. I'll tell you what, I'm a professional bullshitter. I was a liar and a cheat as a kid and a phony and a blowhard. And now I'm a professional bullshitter and get paid to do all those things. Okay. No, you're bullshitting us right now. though. <laughs> And the love of storytelling, and I can see that's that's to me in my mind a natural connection to to Greg. What you do, and I can see why uh, you know you were attracted to to learning and working and collaborating with John Wesley. Yeah, I mean, like we we work in the same space. He's been doing it for many more years than I have, and uh, uh, I know what it's like to go and pitch and try to sell and get rejection all the time. I'm a professional at this, John Wesley. Right. I look at John Wesley and he, there's a magic sauce there uh, about how he expresses his ideas to the buyer. And all these things starts to happen. Like there's a big part of your story, John Wesley, that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll share in a little bit about how your company went from a Halifax company to an international company, which which is an incredible story in itself. Um, some people say that uh, people have a magic uh, golden horseshoe up their butt, you know. You but you've got strategy here. Like there's this isn't just luck that's happening. So well, look, it's an, it's an old saw to say that we live in the information age, but the truth is we live in the misinformation age. And the most valuable thing in the world people can have right now is some kind of critical method, some kind of way of deciding who and what to believe and to what degree and to sort through all the stories that are out there because we're not the only ones shaping shaping a bunch of things that happen into stories. Everyone's doing it. So I would argue that we live in the age of story wars. So whether you're a health industry professional or a politician or a lawyer or salesman of anything whatsoever or professional storytellers like us, you are in the age of story wars. We're all advertisers. We're all selling our thing and ourselves through story. We all have the same job in that regard. What the output is changes. Okay, can you can you put the put a little bit of that to the, uh, so, the road with the so what I did is I had this idea uh, and I explained to you is, is I wanted to tell these stories about shipwrecks. So who would be interested in stories about shipwrecks? Well, there's the Discovery Channels, there's the National Geographic, there's Smithsonian. 
there's a history channel, there's a travel and adventure channel. So there's, there's lots of broadcasters out there who are in the business of packaging stories and selling them to the world that would be interested in this kind of thing. So I went out and talked to them. And the truth is when you're, when you're producer and when you're selling stories, whether it's a feature film or writing books or television or podcasts or whatever it happens to be, there's actually two stories uh, that you need to tell. One, it's the content of the thing itself. But more importantly, at the embryonic stage, is the story of why you. Because there are no new ideas. There's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes tells us that all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And so why you? So in this case, it was very, very simple. Why me? I'm here in Halifax. That's where the shipwrecky stuff is. It's all Titanic-y and shipwrecky. Of course, the broadcaster is going to work with a, a, a sea-bound company to tell sea-bound stories. You'd be a fool to have producers in Toronto uh, doing it because it just doesn't make sense. And if it didn't work out, you're going to get fired for sure. Not you're, you're going to get double fired because you're going to look like an idiot. Why would you think Toronto companies could make ocean stories? You want people who are pelagic, if you will, of the sea. So I didn't know it at the time, but I can now tell you 17 years later, the reason I won on that first day was because it just made sense. There's this young guy from Nova Scotia. It's all shipwrecky. It's Titanic-y. He knows all about this stuff. They're having a good time. They want to tell stories about shipwreck. Let's let's roll the dice on them. And uh, and that worked. And at, at the beginning, I, I was even confused. I thought I was actually in the business of looking for shipwrecks. I didn't really feel like it was in the TV business. So it all evolved that that, oh yeah, I sold these two stories, the story that went up on the screen and the story of why me. And that's why they sent me the check. Finding the shipwreck, or in fact, not finding the shipwreck, doesn't matter so much as telling a great story about it. So I wasn't in the shipwreck business. And I wasn't purely in the business of uh, putting the story up on screen. I was in the business of why me? Why should somebody give me money? And that's what I mean by saying we're in the age of story wars, because whoever has the best story gets the check. Whoever has the best story gets the girl. Whoever has the best story gets the suit, gets the job, gets elected, gets to sell their product. Whoever has the best story wins. We're in the age of story wars. And I guess that would be be very similar in uh, even in retail, for example, if you're saying, I'm, I'm going to win on the best product. Well, the product is, it's not just the product. The product is the, uh, is, is the vessel that's holding the product, which is, which is you, the entrepreneur, the founder. You know? Exactly. And we're in a golden age in that regard because we're moving so many things away from commodities and expanding the pie in, in the sense. If you're selling on story, it means you don't have to compete on price. This is not a, a new idea in the advertising industry. You know, like, like, what makes uh, what makes uh, a Lincoln more valuable than a Ford? They're both built on the same platform. It's the same thing. It's because some advertiser somewhere along the line convinced people of the story that a Lincoln was a premium. So, hey, so can I cut in for ahead. a sec? Dave, go. Yeah. So here are a couple things um, that, are, that are coming to mind as I'm listening to you, John Wesley. First is, you know, like, what is what is for you so compelling about shipwrecks and that story? Can I, and I'm kind of thinking, yeah, it certainly is the um, 
uh, the story, but I mean, it's how you tell the story. And that, that leads to my second question, which is, you know, where does the confidence come from to, you know, to, to, because t- I'm thinking a lot of people, actually, I know a lot of people listening to these podcasts or, you know, they have their stories, right? Um, right. And they want to share their story. And, you know, sometimes what's stopping them? And it's generally, you know, some, some fear. Um, but what I'm wondering is, so what, what was it about shipwrecks, you know, and then what gave you the confidence to get out there in front of, like someone like the Discovery Channel and, and win that business. Okay. Okay. Well, let me answer your second question first, and then we'll come back to, to why Shipwreck. Okay. So listen, watch this. Creativity is the greatest joy in life. To be creative is to find meaning in life. Here's my definition of creativity, okay? Creativity is seeing an undeveloped situation deciding on a course of action and using all your resources that you can bring to bear on seeing that course of action to fruition, even if it means pushing against the stream of popular opinion and almost always does. That's, it's not about, (laughs) in one way you can say it takes courage to do that, but for the people for whom creativity is important, their conscience would never release them from doing that. You couldn't stop them from doing it. They couldn't stop themselves even if they wanted to. You know, uh, look how many musicians are out there. Look how many guitar players. Guitar guitar player is the stupidest job in the fucking world. You know, like there's <laughs> no money in it. It leads you to an early grave. It's obvious, yet... Some people can't help but be guitar players. They have to outlet their creativity in that way. Right. So it's it's about finding courage to do what you just have to do. And there's some people who are just wired that way. You know, uh, there's an expression, it takes all kinds. And it's easy to be flip about that. But it really does take all kinds. And there's an, a type of iconoclastic person for whom creativity is something that's inescapable. Their conscience won't release them until they fulfill their creative mission. And that, that, so, that can be a blessing and a curse, can it? Oh, look, dude, if if everyone was like that, it'd be chaos. It'd, it'd be <laughs> chaos. It'd be anarchy. If everybody was like me, nothing would get done. We need we need a lot of followers. We need a lot of listeners. We need a, we need a lot of doers. We, we, we need bureaucrats. We, we need everything. But you need some of, some of these people. Right. Um, you know, you need a few good leaders and you need a lot of good followers and that that's true in creativity for sure so it's not about having the courage it's just about fulfilling your creative destiny so it's it's a survival instinct essentially because you you you, you wouldn't be able to nor would i like if you continue going down that accountant's route back in your rock and roll days I think it would be tough for you to stay in that environment. No, and I just, because I have both experiences, I can, but, you know, anybody can look at it, look in rock and roll. What would Mick Jagger and Keith Richards be if they weren't rock stars? Like, the only other job I can actually see them doing is pirate. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And what is pirate but old-fashioned rock star? It's the same. It's the same. It's not even a different job. It's the same job. They would, they, so in other words, regardless of the time, regardless of the place on earth, those guys were destined to do the job that they do. And that's all there is to it. And it's creative work of being awesome. So, um, which segues nicely from pirate back to shipwreck. Yes. Nice segue. So, so shipwrecks there, 
I didn't know when I started what attracted me to this shipwreck thing. I really didn't understand it. But I made 26 hours of Oceans of Mystery and then 56 hours of the Sea Hunters and then 26 half hours of Dreamwrecks. And I think it adds up to about 300 hours so far of like ocean adventure things. And what I realized, what I found out is that the story of ship journeys are perhaps the, 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 the place where stories were created. Th- and remember I told you earlier, I think a story is a, is a very specific thing, okay? Mm-hmm. When we all lived in a village together or traveled as a tribe together, we didn't need stories. Everybody knew what happened every day. There's no, there's, you know, it's like, it's like you already know that stuff. You don't have to tell the story. But imagine when ships became a thing where you could actually go out of sight of the tribe, out of the side of the town and think about how this went. So it'd be a very interesting character who uh, was compelled to leave his or her uh, natural world, the village and take that great leap from going from dry land to the ocean, someplace that's definitely not safe, definitely not part of their natural world. And they probably resist doing that. But at some point, in order to trade or to get food or for whatever reason, to fight maybe, you have to take this great leap. And you go on this ship out of sight of land where no one else can see you, so nobody else knows what's going on. You go into an abyss, a, a, an, an unknown that, that nobody can understand, and it's part of a great external world, but it also challenges you right to the core because you're scared. You're in an ocean that doesn't care about you at all. That Anything can happen. But with the help of key friends like the people who made the boat and the people who sailed the boat with you and the people who invented the sail, with their support, you get to fight your ultimate battle, whether you're catching fish or doing a war or just going on a trading mission. And then if you're very, very, very lucky, you get to come back to your village, your natural world with the prize. But do you know what the most dangerous moment is? The most dangerous moment of a sailor's life is when they have to meet the shore again. So right at the end is actually the climax of any sailor's journey to get back on land. You know, you don't think about this now because we have engines and steering and everything, but to get a ship back to where it started from is the greatest challenge ever. And that last moment of meeting the land without destroying you and your prize and everything in it is the hardest thing. So, but if you get back, what it's the very first thing you're going to do when you get on land. Story. You're going to tell a story. People are going to say, what happened? Where did this come from? What, how you've changed? You've changed. Why? How did you change so much? And they say, let me tell you. And when they tell you, that's a story. And that's where the story that's, started. That's, and I believe in my heart that that's where stories started. So I didn't know it at the time when I was telling the stories of these ocean journeys and shipwrecks, but I was getting right to the heart of the founding myth of all our stories, the founding structure. Now, I wasn't the first person to figure out this. There was a man named Joseph Campbell who helped us identify through study of ancient myths that that a story is a very specific thing. It has a very specific shape. It has a hero leaving his natural world into the unknown, overcoming challenges and problems with, with help from others, and then returning to his natural world changed internally and with his external pride. 
dies. And that is known today as the hero's journey. And every Hollywood film Mm -hmm. is based on that story shape. So if we live in an age of story wars, if you um, say, if we're in the Indy 500 of story wars, you lift the hood of any of those Indy cars under the hood is the hero's journey structure. So years into this, I realized, oh, the stories that I'm telling follow the structure of the hero's journey, follow the story of every Hollywood film I've ever met, ever, ever seen. And um, this is it. We're in the business of hanging um, details on the architecture of the hero's journey and telling it in whatever medium we are. Um, You know, those first people who came back to that first heart Harbor told the story orally. Eventually, they were drawing pictures and then writing books. And now we get to tell it in all, all sorts of electronic mediums, but it's still the hero's journey. It's still the same. And it can be fact, it can be fiction. People don't really care. There's uh, a natural shape to the human mind that asks us to seek patterns. And that's, that's what drives us. We're pattern seeking machines. And what I would argue is that the story, as I described it, the hero's journey, is the most compelling pattern that humanity has ever seen. It's something we love more than life, more than love, more than food. We'll give up anything for a great story. And so we're all, uh, as creative entrepreneurs, in the business of hanging details on the architecture of the hero's journey. This this is awesome how you, how you say this. And Almost uh, John Wesley and Dave, this this is a great illustration to being an artist or being an entrepreneur. Uh, the hero's journey is is really living that life of creation. In your case, building a business, and I'm, I'm taking right back to this because it's really neat because your own founder story, I'm always focusing on what's your yep. founder story. Um, since I've met you, I've seen your journey out into the wild, into the abyss, turn into great fortune. Like you've found incredible treasure, uh, you know, many times, much just by being in the right place and having the right, having the right, you know, having the spinnaker full sail and having all the, all the things set at the right time. And uh, not sure if you want to go into detail with this, but I find it really interesting to, to, for anybody to hear that you took some initial risk with passion and it just started to snowball. And then you got these partners and distribution and that became to something even larger. And the stuff that you're doing right now is just absolutely epic. So why don't you take us to the second part of your hero journey? So we're in the business of creative manufacturing. Remember, my definition of creativity is very broad in the sense um, engineers are creatives. Uh, Anybody who's making anything, uh, chefs are creatives. It's not about art. Uh, we don't want to confuse creativity with with art. Uh, creativity can be very useful. Inventors are, are creatives. Uh, doctors can be creatives. Um, hopefully not too creative. Um, <clears throat> so my job is as a as a television producer, which is a, which is a modern way to say storyteller, um, is. Be, because I'm, I'm based mostly in factual TV, my job is to be that guy who had the nerve to sail out of sight of land. My job is to have experiences or to share experiences with with people that make them go, wow. So how do you, how do you do that? Well, you, you have to have the nerve to go and have the experiences. 
And you have to surround yourself and seek out people who are doing that, who are having real experiences. So some of the people I've met in my life, of course, obviously all the ocean adventure people, um, people who've uh, explored the world of Freemasonry, uh, Hope Swinomer, Hope for Wildlife, who has explored the world of wildlife rescue. It, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be epic on the surface. The the, the spirit of, of human creativity and human adventure um, shines brightly even when it's the tiniest diamond. So I have to sort through these things. And this is, so my daily job is just to sort through these things. And I'll share with you that from the beginning, I'm about a 99% failure at my job. And I haven't improved on that over the years. That's how, that's how nebulous this business is. And what I mean, I'm a a 99% failure is for every hundred ideas that might come through my mind or across my desk, Maybe one becomes a TV show where people uh, would write you a check. And because of that, I'm in the business of starting up companies, you know, more than any other startup person. I, I start and close maybe 17, 20 companies a year uh, moving through these ideas because each TV show is, is, a, is a separate company. And I also uh, have a great ability to take no for an answer and move on. It's not art. I'm not saying this is my gem of an idea. I love it. I love the idea that somebody is willing to write me a check for. So if I have an idea, I think I'm going to sell this to Smithsonian or National Geographic. It's the best idea I've ever had because the latest idea is always the best. If I go to them and they say, nah, or more likely they say we've already got it because there's nothing new under the sun, right? I said that already. So it's kind of a race like where to get your idea in the correct format in front of the people before the other guy who's just like you in some other place gets it in there. Um, and then and then you just move on to the next idea. You knife your icons, you, you let it go, and you get on to the, the next idea. The Some people hold their ideas very close to their chest. And it's a way of doing things, but I don't think it's right. I think it misses the point of what you're selling that's of value. You, uh, as I told you, like you can think the story's of value, but it's not. Everybody's got the same stupid story. The things that are of value is why you, why now? You're the thing of value, the, cr- the, the creator. And that's doesn't need to be held close to your chest. You should shout that from the rooftops. It's like, I'm a creative guy. I got lots of ideas. And that's, that's what I do. I, um, not here in Nova Scotia because there's no customers here in Nova Scotia. Our sign does, our building doesn't even have a sign on it. We, we keep a very low profile, but when I go to market and, and when I'm in America, I'm as boastful and loud as any American you've ever seen saying, I have the greatest idea the world has ever known. Let me share with you this thing that you absolutely need because I'm doing you this giant favor to put this idea in front of you because, of course, the customers are, are story-consuming monsters. They want me to win more than anybody else in the world. They want me to sit down at the desk across from this and speaks to the courage thing. Like, how do you have the courage to speak to Discovery Channel about a show? You don't need courage. They need you so much. And when you sit down at that meeting, the only thing they want in the whole world is for you to move your lips and tell them a story that they need to have on their channel. They want you to win more than anybody else, more than your mom wants you to win. They want you to win, man. And it's like, they're your biggest supporter. 
until you say something stupid or boring. <laughs> and then <laughs> they want you to move and then they want you to move on. They don't hate you or anything. Yeah. They just say, No, not that one. And you have to have the ability to move on. If you're in love with your idea and fight it. If you're fighting it, if you're treating it like art, you will never be asked back because they want you to win. Absolutely. And if it's not a winner, they don't want you to stick with it. So John, so John Wesley, this is like, you know, what's really interesting is, uh, I hear you talk about not, not succumbing to like the fear of failure. In other words, the concept of failing fast is stuff we talk with other entrepreneurs about. Right. And, and the other piece I'm hearing is like, so, and I'm in a coaching business, right. And not everyone's yep. interested in, in hiring a coach. So I want to go out and, and we tell a story about how coaching is and, and how this great coach is going to support developing a leader. Um, yep. how I've reframed it is instead of I'm selling the ideas, I'm making, I'm, I'm, I'm creating an invitation. This is an invitation to, 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 uh, collaborate together. And, and so in my mind, I kind of go, well, that makes it okay. If they, if someone says, you know, not now, I'm not, I, I don't want to accept the invitation. So in other words, like, and that's okay. So you move on to the next thing, right. Or, or you share the, the next service that might fit. So I'm hearing a little bit of that in there. So, um, I mean, so, you know, and how do, how do you, how do people get to the, like, I mean, I guess, what would you think the strategy is to help people not get so married to their, their service, their story, their idea that they, that they, you know, they're either, they, they're, they're scared of failing or they can't admit, they can't let it go. Like what, what, yeah. what, how do you, what would your advice be to, or what's the well, strategy? The, the, the advice is very simple and it's the same advice, uh, as the secret of happiness. Okay. And there's, there's a contradiction built in, you know, the, the, the reason they call it secret of happiness is because it's a contradictory thing. Nobody in the whole history of the world has been made happy by just sitting around trying to make themselves happy. Nobody can do that. It's impossible. It's a recipe for disaster. You sit around trying to make yourself happy, buying yourself shit and stuff. You'll be miserable all your days and die sad and lonely, cold, wet and alone. But if you concern yourself with other people, if you concern yourself with the world outside yourself, if you try to help, if you contribute, if you try to understand where other people are coming from and what they need, and then if you notice, hey, I can give that person that thing that they need and it's no skin off my back, I can do it for them. I can just give it to them. If you take that approach to everybody in your life, including your business, including your sales, you will never have an unhappy moment. I guarantee you, absolutely, you will be successful and you will never have a sad, lonely day again, ever. So what am I doing? Think about that approach. So I'm, for starters, I'm not sitting around thinking about my artistic needs. I'm not sitting around thinking what I want. I'm saying, okay, there's a customer. What do they want? What does Discovery Channel want? What does, what does National Geographic want? National Geographic, I, I love. They're my favorite customer in the world. And um, it's just a joy. Perhaps one of the purest brands in the world. And they sit around thinking about what they want all the time. And they're willing to tell you, you just have to ask them, what do you, what do you want? Um, and interesting, you think they want, they want new ideas. They don't, 
they want new ways of telling the old ideas that they've been telling since 1888. So there's all this history there. They, they still want to talk about who built the pyramids, how, how are we going to get to the stars, what's at the bottom of the sea. They just want new ways of telling those stories. So if in the course of affairs of my life, I think of a new way of telling one of those National Geographic stories, I just run off to the National Geographic and say, I have that thing, that thing that you need. I have it now. Here, look. And they more often than not say, yeah, that's just the thing we need. Thank you for coming. We'll buy it. And it's often just as simple as that. There's no, there's no business plan. There's nothing written down on paper. There's, there's absolutely nothing except being able to show them that I'm offering them the thing that I've figured out that they want. Right. So in our words, if you follow the secret to happiness in life and love, you will also have the secret to happiness and success in business. That's awesome. Joe Wesley, this has been so compressed and jam packed with gold and nuggets, but that's the way it always is when I talk to you. Actually, So listen, thanks so much. We're going to come close to an end. What Dave and I usually do at this point is do a little bit of a recap and lessons learned. Oh, really? And typically we hang up the phone on you, but we've got the pleasure of having you actually in the studio with me. So we're, we're gonna we're gonna include you in this process. So, uh, so Dave, hey, great, yeah. great. Can I ask? Can I ask John West? I know, I know. We, I know. We always try to. I, I have to ask John Wesley one more question. Can I? Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I just I was looking at your bio, John Wesley, and I was looking at the your selected credits here. You know, of, yeah. of, of the various projects that you've worked on, and and they're just it's so interesting because there's not. I sort of see a theme, but then some things just throw me off. So, and this is a tough question, but you know, when you look at projects, you've like you'd mentioned, really enjoy working with National Geographic as an example. But when you think of a project, like what's one that really fulfilled you, like of of, of the ones you've worked on? And maybe I don't even know if that's a fair question, but I just was curious because I was I'm looking through these and I'm thinking, wow, these are these are look very cool and very. There, I see a theme, but then there one a couple a couple titles threw me off and said, well, how does that fit within this? Well, I'll share with you, Dave, that none of it's really fulfilled me. Um, I have seen a pattern of all my dreams lose their grandeur coming true. When I have one of these ideas and I'm talking about it, it's the perfect thing. The latest idea is always the best. But then 18 months later, 20 months later, when it's delivered, I've never once been fully satisfied with what I've done. And it speaks to another part of my life where I am kind of hardwired to imagine that the best times are always out ahead, that I'm always racing into the future, imagining that the next one will be the one that really realizes its full promise. And why that is, is because all of our lives are battle against mediocrity, mediocrity in in, in all things. When a thing is an idea, it's a pure of spirit and it's not limited by the mediocrity of our, uh, our time, our distractions, our competing interests. And so we're just always moving into the future and always hoping to more successfully win that battle against the true enemy of everything, which is mediocrity in ourselves, in our relationships, in our, uh, in others and, and, and in life itself. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, and going back to when, uh, earlier when you said you're not an artist, um, I think most entrepreneurs 
are artists, uh, whether they practice it or not. Uh, they do have that creative uh, direction of an artist. Yeah, I just wanted to separate creativity with art. from artistry. Right. And I, I find that most artists, and uh, certainly uh, myself with my documentaries, you, did, you do get to a point three quarters of the way through where your resources are not going to allow you to finish this thing, to, to be complete in, in the creator's eyes. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there have been maybe two or three in the history of, uh, of humanity, uh, of, of works of art, that the artist said, that is perfect. But it is, I almost don't believe that that's actually possible no. for an artist. No, in our, in our work, uh, we have three-point business plans. We have the story, the delivery date, and the budget. And the goal is to drop something down be- between those three points. That's it. It's not art to do that. It's business. It's process. And uh, you do the best you can within those three points. And that's an art in itself. So, Dave, what would you say uh, one of your top uh, takeaways is from this uh, super engaging conversation? Oh, well, it's, you know, there's a, there's actually a number. Um, but I, I would say the top one is, um, and, and I know John Wesley's listening to us here, but thank God, thank God he didn't focus on being an accountant. <laughs> and, and you know, as a takeaway, that is really cool because, and, and nothing against the accountant uh, world whatsoever, but uh, you know, he came he came through education, uh, pointed towards being an accountant, but he was also playing in uh, internationally recognized rock and roll bands. I.e., he's a creative person. How many accountants and lawyers and other brilliant people? actually have that and don't believe that they can exercise well, in, in that, the, in, that side. Yeah. So let me finish that thought. I mean, and, and, and that's not to beat up on accountants, but there's this great book. I think we've, re- I referenced it in another podcast by Dan Pink. It's called A Whole New Mind. And it talks about left brain and right brain thinkers and this idea that, and, and, and John Wesley, I mean, just based on just listening to you, it sounds like you, you have done a great job of bridging both the left and the right brain, right? So that's what, what, calls the whole, a whole brain thinking, right? So it's not just the process and the linear thinking and not just the creative, but just the combination. So, so that's what I mean by, thank God he didn't stay with being an accountant in that left brain. He just, he, he really engaged his right brain or it was already engaged, but just really let it live. And that's that creative side, right? And, and, and if I think, um, to the work we do as leaders, it's that combination, right? Of, 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 you know, being creative, but also using the left, which is the right brain thinking, but also, and, and visioning and, and pioneering, but also the left brain says, okay, how are we going to get there? What's the sequence? What are the process? What's the logic behind this? So, so that's what I mean. That's what's behind that, I guess, that, that point. Yeah. And thank God he didn't stay as an accountant. So, so that's my big takeaway. I just <laughs> love it. And it's interesting because it's the exact same message, message that uh, Sean King from Extreme Group said, wasn't it, Dave? Yes, that, uh, exactly. He's an incredibly exactly. creative person, uh, but also very process driven. And he will go back and forth depending on the situation. Now, my big takeaway, John Wesley, was uh, I, I loved how you, you mentioned that there's a duality in storytelling in all of this. And it's very, uh, it's, it, it's very, um, uh, what's the word? Um, easy to see in the industry that you and I work in because we are professional storytellers, but you can relate this right across the spectrum of business where the product that you are building and selling or the story that you are creating and selling is is one story. But the other story, which as you argue, and I agree with, that is even more important is the the story of the storyteller. And, you know, I've never actually looked at it that way, but now that you say that, I see it in so many different success stories that, you know, some people 
uh, might just hear a, a name of a film director or a musician, maybe never even heard their music or seen their, their movies, but just because they've heard the story, it's legitimacy right there. Like their story was well, well, and that's what people are connecting themselves to. And that's the stuff of legends. And uh, you know, that was my big takeaway, Dave, is the, uh, the, the two sides of storytelling in growing business, especially in, in our, uh, entertainment industry. Yeah, no, and and well, and then, and then maybe one other would be just this idea, but not being too attached to our ideas, and making sure, you know, the the consumer of our idea can can understand it, grasp it, and and how do we you know adjust and and that that whole process I think is, um, and the one and which is which is interesting because it's hard to be real, you know, if you are very passionate about something, at what point do you do you let that idea go? And I mean that's and that, I mean that's for another conversation, but I just I thought that was really interesting kind of way of, of viewing. Um, how do you get you know the idea of not being too married to it? Yeah, and uh, one last thing, uh, John Wesley. Uh, we always want to give the opportunity for people to uh, express different ways for people to check you out. So uh, maybe you want to mention a little bit about Arcadia website, any Twitter, any social media connection. Uh, how do people find you? Yeah, I'm I'm crazy for the Facebook. You know, we, we we've worked across all the social media, but I love it. I I travel constantly. You know, I've met couple thousand people now through the world who I want to hold on to and in the pro- in the time it would have taken me to write a postcard I can keep up with a couple thousand people on Facebook and I absolutely love it I don't think I'm using it right I don't there's no pictures of cats well maybe there are a few pictures of cats um, <laughs> and I I just like it to to tell what I'm doing to keep up with what other people are doing um I see it as a kind of performance I don't I don't see it as reality part of your story yes and so so I love that but um you know but if you want to see the more rounded thing in the digital universe just just type in John Wesley Chisholm into Google and you'll see every stupid thing I've ever done every good thing I've ever done it all comes up I I, I, I don't hold my cards close to my chest so it leaves a pretty strong footprint on, on the web um, I also just have an open door and people can come in and see me I, I, anybody who can come up with a legitimate reason to want to talk to me I, I'm happy to talk to anybody I have lots of time on my hands and I think part of what I need to do with that time is, is to talk to the other people, anybody who wants to talk to me. So, um, come on in and talk. Love it. Okay. And, and Dave, do you have it in you to do the, uh, the extra? Oh, uh, I, I knew you were going to, yes, uh, I, I will give it, I will give it a shot. You'll fill in where required, right? Okay. That um, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, Mrs. And Mr. Listener, please connect with us. Um, you can do it a whole bunch of ways. Um, Facebook is a great way. And so we have a boiling point Facebook page. Um, Greg will jump in and remind me if I've missed anything here. Um, Greg's Twitter handle is... Greg Hemmings, so so original. Yes, and, and our, our bowling point is uh, at bowling point pod, uh, and you can check out our website bowlingpointpodcast.com. Look, I'm jumping all over. I know you're Sorry, you're man. like taking it from me. So, but and, so, uh, so, so my Twitter handle is Dave <laughs> underscore Vale V E A L E. Um, and here's the thing: I really want to. I really want as people get on. The coolest thing, Greg, has been you and I started this just kind of in a bit of a vacuum, right? Well, in a in, a, in, a, in an audio booth that we were sweating our our uh, our butts off in, but what. 
what was been really interesting is we're like, is anyone going to listen to these? And we're and as we start watching the stats, we're like, wow, there's a lot of people listening to, this. and they're actually messaging us and they're 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 making comments. So we want people to add comments, and then and we're having an hour where people are suggesting, hey, you should interview so and so, and and um, I mean that's very cool, and that's the kind of interaction we want. Would it, is that not a is that yeah, not true? I, I, I think that's great. So definitely connect with us through any of those mediums. And uh, we really appreciate it. And this thing is growing. So share the word. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, mm. and uh, rate us I if you like it or hate it. You know, do that for short. Now, the last thing is we have to say thanks to our producer, Matt Weber, uh, as well as our, our two different uh, provincial engineers. We've got Tim Davidson in St. John, New Brunswick. And we've got uh, Luke and Dave and Jason at, uh, at Village Sound in Halifax. Thanks a lot, guys. And uh, yeah, so until next time, this is where we roll that uh, really nice extra piece of uh, music. Until next time, we'll see you on the other side of the Boiling Point. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, Visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.